Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Thursday, May 25th. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. Last week, hundreds of people flooded the streets of Petersburg to eat traditional Norwegian foods, dance traditional dances, and sling herring at each other. The small island community, known as Alaska's Little Norway, celebrated its Norwegian heritage, which stretches back to the 1800s when Norwegian families emigrated to Mitkoff Island to harvest fish and ice from the nearby glacier. I took everybody downtown to join in some of the merriment. The week-long festival marks the coming of spring, the beginning of the local fishing season, and Norway's Constitution Day. It started on a sweet note with local bakers gathering at the Sons of Norway Hall to demonstrate how they make traditional Norwegian treats. Samantha Wikon-Williams is cutting and frying dough to make fatemen, a type of cookie flavored with cardamom. Kind of looks like a bow tie. Huge. Yeah, awesome. this is the cutter. So there's a special cutter that you roll it out and then you cut it and you tuck one side inside of a little hole and it makes it kind of look like a little pointed bow tie. Out in the streets, things are a little more chaotic and messy. Festival goers line up on Main Street to compete in the annual herring toss. It's like an egg toss, only participants are throwing dead fish at each other. Make sure you give the herring a little kiss, just good luck. Any of the spectators on the back side of our participants need to stand back because we will be taking one big step back for each throw. Joel Simcoe is from Cave Creek, Arizona. He says he's in awe of how happy everybody is to be here. This is so fun. It's just, it's a lot to take in, but there is not a single person that is not walking down the street that does not have a smile on their face. And that's so neat. Everybody's having a ball. Everybody's just happy to be here. And even the little kids walking down the street, completely unsupervised, are having a blast. There are a lot of unsupervised children running around. Some are licking melted Jolly Ranchers out of real clamshells, or Jolly Clams. And many of the older kids are decked out in braids and bunader, a festive costume based on old Norwegian folk outfits. Brandy Tines leads a line of Petersburg's lycoring dancers through the streets. Dancing is a childhood staple in Petersburg. Alaska Senator Bert Stedman and Petersburg's mayor, Mark Jensen, grew up here together. They recall a time when they had to put on the little blue knickers. Dance down the street with the other, with the girls when we're little, like the young guys do now. We thought it, we thought it was torture. The mayor was right with me being tortured. Oh, hard to say how our parents had us dressed up you know who knows what we were wearing we had, we had the blue some kind of blue uniform, blue uniforms, uniforms yeah. Yeah, yeah same thing as today basically yeah. do you still remember how to dance no no i, I think you're lying <laughs> to me That's... marcus jan is here from germany and came in on the ms rolled amundsen a new hybrid cruise ship from norway yeah. <laughs> you, you see a lot of people see your culture here and see your heritage yes um this amazing uh, costumes this viking costumes I didn't know that there were Vikings here in Petersburg. The Vikings and Valkyries are the most easily recognizable locals. 
They carry swords and axes and horn goblets, and they're known for riding around in a party bus, which drives revelers around town, blasting club music into the night. The leader of the group will only identify himself by his Viking name, the Harbor Barbarian. Try saying that five times fast. He has a snow-white mountain goat pelt draped over his shoulders, and he says it took him a while to put the ensemble together. Um, I killed this over at Horns Cliff. No kidding. I did. I And I shot my wolf out the road, and my deer uh, was taken on Prince of Wales. But the Vikings aren't just here to party and look cool. They treat the group like kind of a seasonal civic organization. They hold a free dinner for the town, which this year is an actual boatload of cooked shrimp and crab. The scary men and women in furs and face paint also join in the traditional dances and let the kids beat them up with pool noodles in a series of festival games. And my favorite part is actually interacting with the kids, being downtown, and um, just kind of being ambassadors. You know, we, we want to make sure that we show a good face for the town. And there's a lot of folks in town that are here just for a day. Then we want them to feel special. For many festival goers, Little Norway marks a triumphant exit from the bitter winter season. But for others, it's about celebrating a unique way of life. Adrienne Schwartz returned home from Juneau for the event. She says the tradition means everything to her. Oh, it means pretty much everything. I mean, growing up in Petersburg, uh, learning to Norwegian dance and do all of those things, the baking and the um, being involved in um, commercial fishing and hunting. And just a lot of it's important to me because it's a different way of life. So we kind of grow up here knowing how to take care of ourselves. The Little Norway Festival is held in Petersburg the third weekend of every May, coinciding with May 17th, which is Norway's Constitution Day. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. A timber company owned by Yakutat's Village Corporation has filed for bankruptcy this month after a bank sued the corporation for over $13 million in outstanding debts. It's the latest chapter in the story of a contentious logging operation that many of the corporation's shareholders didn't support. Coast Alaska's Angela Denning has more. Yak Timber filed for bankruptcy on May 11th. In a letter to shareholders the next day, the village corporation Yak Tak Kwan said they filed only after exhausting all efforts to negotiate a resolution with the bank. Yakutat's tribal government says the lawsuit is further dividing a town that was already stressed. Many residents didn't agree with the logging operation in the first place. Andrew Gildersleeve is a tribe's executive director. He says, above all, there's grief. The matter itself is almost like a broken piece of glass with so many edges. It's impossible to pick up without getting cut. There's shock of what's happened to tribal lands and disbelief that there could be a claim of this size. The lawsuit, brought by AgWest Farm Credit, alleges that Yak Timber owes the bank about $13.3 million in unpaid loans. Where did all that money that they borrowed go? Cindy Bremner is a shareholder and the former CEO of the corporation. She's now Yakutat's mayor. She says shareholders have a lot of questions the corporation won't answer. It's straining relationships in the small town of 600. We live in a small town. We're all related. And it's caused quite a divide between those on that board and then pretty much the rest of the shareholders. 
The suit says the corporation hasn't made payments since the middle of 2022. The bank is seeking repayment, interest, and attorney's fees. It lists equipment along with timber, proceeds, and property as collateral. In a letter to shareholders on April 7th, corporation leadership said their board, quote, is united in every possible effort to address the allegations, end quote. Sherry Jensen, the corporation's CEO, said in a written statement that they had no comment for this story. But as recently as October, Jensen told Coast Alaska that paying back the loans wouldn't be a problem after they sell Yak Timbers logging equipment. Banks don't lend money to broke companies. They just don't. And, you know, we had a business plan, and they bought into it. The Yak Tak Kwan Corporation was formed in the early 70s after the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act took effect. The federal law exchanged indigenous land rights for money divvying up the remaining land among a few hundred village corporations. Those corporations are charged with making a profit for their shareholders. The Quan created its timber subsidiary in 2018 to harvest 21 million board feet of timber on its land. It logged about three-quarters of that, shipping nearly 4,000 log trucks worth of wood to China. As Jack Timber pursued different logging projects, opposition grew among shareholders. Some wanted the corporation to seek other resource revenue, such as carbon credits. Eventually, Yak Timber announced last fall that it would sell off its assets. But the company continued to harvest timber at a place called Humpback Creek, which the local and regional tribal governments say is culturally and historically significant. They, along with the regional corporation Sea Alaska, have requested Yak Timber stop logging there. The corporation faces a lawsuit from shareholders as well. Some are worried that their land could be lost as collateral for their debt. Amanda Bremner is a cousin to the mayor. I am incredibly concerned, not just for the risk to existing land, but for what this means for the future of our company and all of our shareholders. She and another shareholder chair a coalition that is seeking a change. Their lawsuit, filed on May 9th, asks the court to step in and force the corporation to hold an election for all nine seats on the board. Yaktat Kwan hasn't held an election in a couple of years, which led to a state fine. Amanda Bremner says taking the corporation to court was a difficult decision, but many shareholders share her goals. To see our corporation flourish and thrive and be successful and ethical and rooted in indigenous value and um, to have business practices reflect that. The loaning bank will not comment. In a separate court filing, the bank seeks to repossess a tug and barge they loaned Yak Timber for $3.3 million. Later, they asked the court to ban the corporation from moving the barge, saying it was uninsured. The corporation has disputed this and filed its own motions. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Earlier this month, Governor Mike Dunleavy issued a state disaster declaration to communities affected by severe flooding. That declaration grew on Monday and now covers Buckland, Kobuk, Noatak, McGrath, Guifluck, and St. Mary's. Jeremy Zidek is the spokesperson for the state's Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. He says the communities are affected by spring flooding and ice jams can have can apply to the state's program beginning today. Two programs were activated, public assistance and individual assistance. Public assistance is for 
critical infrastructure, roads, bridges, boardwalks, uh, utilities, uh, public buildings. That's a program geared towards municipalities. SIDEX says the second program, the Individual Assistance Program, is more for individuals and families impacted by flooding in a variety of ways. Damage to their housing, their personal property, transportation, if they have medical or dental expenses, things like clothing, subsistence equipment, any personal property or essential items, furnishing household items that were destroyed by the flood. He says people often experience loss and flooding that is not immediately apparent, like damages to insulation or loss of freezers and subsistence foods. Through assistance programs, individuals can receive at most $20,500 for their losses. While ZX says he hasn't heard of many individuals who have been displaced by this year's floods, the program also provides funding for housing. For homeowners, this could mean support for 18 months. Renters could get help for three months if they're unable to return to their homes. Zedek encourages individuals to apply, even if they don't think they're eligible. In addition, if there's damages that we can't cover with our program, we do work with a lot of voluntary organizations and faith-based organizations, and perhaps we can call upon one of those partners to meet the need that is not covered by our program. Individuals affected by floods can apply to the program beginning today by visiting ready.alaska.gov or by calling 1-844-445-7131. That number again is 1-844-445-7131. Both the Alaska State House and Senate have passed a bill to exempt veterinarians from reporting to the state's prescription drug database. Soldatna Representative Justin Ruffridge sponsored this bill during his first session in the House. Veterinarians in the state are currently required to report scheduled substances to the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program, or PDMP. The PDMP was created in 2008 and became mandatory for all who administer prescription drugs in 2017 in response to rising opioid overdoses in Alaska. But veterinarians say it has never made sense for them to participate in the PDMP. Because their animals don't have unique identifiers, vets end up looking at the prescription history of their owners, a complicated privacy issue and ethical gray area. Reporting to the PDMP also creates extra work for already strained veterinary staff. And vets rarely prescribe opioids anyway, according to advocates for the bill. Ruffridge's bill passed the House overwhelmingly in March and flew through the Senate two weeks ago. This bill and others Ruffridge has worked on during his first session reflect his background as a pharmacist. The bill is now waiting to be sent to Governor Mike Dunleavy for a signature. Once it gets to his desk, the governor has about 20 days to officially endorse it. Thank you for joining me for Midday Magazine. My name is Shelby Herbert, and I report for KFSK.